Hello and welcome to the latest Beaver Pod. Uh, Lucy and Hugh with us again today. Hi both. Hello. Hi there. Uh, and we'll start with some parish news. So the big news this week seems to be all surrounding COVID-19, which is which is affecting us all. Um, Beaver has so far continued to follow government advice, which is to continue to run CPD events, um, but with warnings and precautions around those. I suspect that'll change as we as we come over the next few weeks, but that's where we are at this point in time. Um, just prior to that, we had the National Equine Forum last week, which there were a number of um, key points made. I think the Minister, Lord Gardner, made an important announcement regarding um, simplifying the way that changes to passport data can be made. So owners going forward will be able to make secure changes of ownership of the status of their horses, um, i.e. signed in or signed out of the food chain just by going online and um, going through a validating process rather than having to send their passports back, which hopefully will make things much simpler. Um, also announced at the National Equine Forum was the uh, uh, Strangles Pledge, um, which is a new initiative headed by Red Wings to, um, to try and encourage people to be proactive about strangles and slightly more mundane matter is the transition to traces new technology from the old traces system for uh, imports and exports of live animals has now gone live as of the 5th of march that's the big news this week so today we've decided we've got we've got a um a recommendation from one of our from one of our listeners uh, that we should be talking about telemedicine and client expectations. Lucy, you you have opinions. I know you get texts and WhatsApps and everything all the time. But what's what's your normal communication load in terms of WhatsApp? Well, I've got to admit, I, I'm a biggest fan of WhatsApp ever. I think so. I I utilise the audio message recordings all the time because I don't have time to text my thumbs are knackered and it's cold and I'm driving or looking at a horse so I record messages to clients constantly and to colleagues actually that's how we really communicate in our practice and I think I'd be a little lost without it if I'm honest because you can get your videos and your photos everything from the client links websites whatever they feel like sending you <laughs> within reason um <laughs> is is all you know accessible and in one conversation and I prefer it to email or text or anything to be honest now I definitely prefer it to actual live phone conversations so <laughs> it's my um, preferred method of choice now for, <laughs> for everything in life uh, and what's your professional social media of choice you uh, probably WhatsApp, same as loose um, email is the one I find really frustrating because there are lots of people who are desk bound who create these really, really eloquent emails with all the correct sort of information in there set out neatly. And then I'm driving around. And if I'm not with a client, I'm driving. And then I get to the end of my day and I just think I really can't be bothered to sit down and write all these emails. So a bit like loose, <laughs> I'd much rather press my thumb on the voice note button, talk for 30 seconds and then press ping. And as far as I'm concerned, that's dealt with. And, um, and I'd yes. be very lost without that. And what about all of your what about what about all of your clients having your personal phone numbers? Love it. 
Love it. Yeah, me too. It's the only attention I get all day. <laughs> exactly. Our need to be needed is so great. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you think do you think i mean i'm not sure everyone in the profession feels quite like that no and i no. it's horses for courses isn't it i'm not gonna for a, for a, not for a minute am i gonna say that every time i love it sometimes i hate it but it's the way i work and i'm happy with that and do you have Thank a separate you. number for um personal items and and, and for work embarrassingly no i don't i just got one phone because carrying two is too much hassle and is that because, oh, and also presumably because your work is your life? Well, exactly. There's nothing else there at all, David. It's just <laughs> my, it's a Lippock and Beaver. That's all there is to me. <laughs> Actually, so that's a bad line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what about you? What about you? Because you're part time, aren't you, Lucy? You, so you have two days a week. Um, you work, how many days a week do you work? I work three days, three full days a week, so 30 hours, um, and then I'm call on top. And I do have two phones, actually. And I, I'm, I am grateful for that. I First, when I joined the practice, they said, oh, have, have a you know, separate phone so that when you're not on call, you don't have to, you know, worry about it. And I didn't like carrying two phones around, but now I'm used to it. And actually, it is good. I've got to say, I've got everything on, for work on one, all of my own personal stuff on the other. The twain shall never meet, although I have tried sellotaping them together once when I kept dropping them. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a better way to work for me. And I know, I mean, I could turn it off, obviously. And I think if somebody feels the need to turn their work phone off when they're not working, that's absolutely fine. Um, but I am a bit like you in that I enjoy my client relations um, and I do, you know, make myself available to them within reason um, most of the time. But yes, naturally you do get sometimes um, unwanted attention <laughs> which um which then you do have the option <laughs> really to <laughs> that sounded wrong but um but you can at least then turn that phone <laughs> off or, or put free it on emergency calls only <laughs> don't go through my camera roll that's all i'll say but um <laughs> no i i have used the um you know, I'm not available, I'm on holiday or emergency calls only, for instance, type status on WhatsApp before. Not that anyone looks at it, to be fair, but um, but it makes you feel better, doesn't it? No. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And what, what about what about um, clients sending you extended uh, extended videos or, or pictures? Do you see that as a positive thing or do you, do you sit there thinking, actually, I should be charging for this? I think the concept's really good, isn't it? I think the the speed of it and the interaction of it is fantastic. And like anything in life, when it's used well, it's fantastic. Um, but you're still going to have the same, whatever percentage of clients will take advantage of that. But they're going to be taking advantage of part of your practice policy in, in every way. So it's, I, I don't think it's anything different. They were the ones that were phoning every five minutes. Now they're just sending a video every five minutes. And I think that you know you have to have your own inherent method of, of controlling that and sort of you know my response to certain individuals is very different to my response to others exactly as it always has been you know there are people who panic over nothing and there are people who only call when it is a panic and you know you know once you've been in a practice six twelve months you know the difference between the people and yeah. and you respond accordingly lucy yeah i'd say the same i you know the clients i know well I'm more than happy they send me videos, photos, and I can often, with that additional information, make a judgment call on the on what's the right decision for them and their horse. 
Um, but naturally, there will be clients I maybe don't know so well or, 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 or struggle to judge their judgment better. Um, and therefore, I may may not, not alter my perception of whether I need to go and see a horse or what I need to do for a treatment. But just because they've sent me a very out of focus, blurry picture of the wound <laughs> a week later, um, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean I won't go and see those clients. So it's very much your own individual sort of um, judgment on those clients and those those horses, isn't it? I think you've just got to You've just got to be happy. If I think you it's judgment and trust, isn't it? Definitely, yeah, trust as well. Absolutely, I wouldn't, I wouldn't rely on a client I've never met met before sending me a photo of a wound randomly to say yes, it does or doesn't need antibiotics or whatever, because clearly that's not appropriate. But you know, where you're looking at a horse or monitoring something on a daily basis, WhatsApp has saved me numerous miles of driving and wasted time going to see something perhaps that wouldn't need to have been seen necessarily. So I see it as a great adjunct to my normal routine with those clients. Yeah, and I, I agree completely. And I think where the converse is where we have to be a little bit careful is there are probably other members in the profession who find it a bit of a bombardment and a bit of a stress and, and certainly a a mental and a social negative and you know i think we have to be respectful of our colleagues um and assistants that you know like everybody's lives are different aren't they and i think you know we've got people who switch off their phone at five thirty or six o'clock because that's what they do and then they'd rather pick up the mess whatever's happened overnight that they don't know about in the morning and that's their choice personally i'm like loose i don't want to do that i'd rather deal with it as it unfolds um but if that's what helps their mental well-being and, and maintaining of of their other life in the best possible way, then, you know, sort of, I'm, I'm not saying it's one system for all. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm very aware that people have to do things differently. I was just going to say, that puts us all in a very pretty different category to your average small animal practitioner who's in a hospital all day, who's, you know, that's, an owner sending a picture into that is very, it's, it's pretty different, isn't it? And I think that's, there's going to be some interesting challenges as the whole telemedicine debate continues as to, you know, why is something okay for an ambulatory horse and it's not okay for a small animal practitioner? Yeah, that's got to be down to the, the yeah. way that the client and vet relationship is formed, isn't it? I mean, I think that if we were seeing 20 or 30 five-minute consults a day, then you're not possibly going to have a relationship with that client based on that one consult, are you? Whereas I find myself spending, you know, half an hour, an hour, an hour and a half perhaps with a client on a on a consult. And that's a very different relationship that you're building, isn't it? Particularly over time. Um, and therefore you, you tend to perhaps for better or worse, have a, have a more intimate relationship with them in a way, don't you? And therefore the, the boundaries will get blurred more easily perhaps, but equally, I think we, we are, yeah. we have to be responsible for our own boundary setting, don't we? And that's why I think where Hugh's right. I think, you know, this isn't going to suit everyone, is it? One way or the other. I think we have to let, let and trust vets to make their own judgment call and what you know you won't catch me running out of a cinema if a call which is all which is all you know as in i lay you, go, my you own have time to go to the cinema morning. lucy <laughs> <laughs> you know if i've got if i'm pouring a gin i finish pouring the gin before i answer the phone you know i'm not i'm not sort of there at the beck and call when i'm not when i'm not on call but equally yeah. i don't i don't sort of purposefully look at a message and then not respond if i've got time to respond if that makes sense but we should respect yeah, individual yeah, people's way of working, shouldn't we? Yeah. And obviously Lucy was referring to a social call when she was mentioning <laughs> talking to somebody after drinking gin. <laughs> Don't worry, Tim, she wasn't going to get advice. 
Uh, well, I, no, I, th- I, I think that's probably the perfect place to finish it up, isn't it? Lucy sounds like she's got a social gym before she goes out to the next call. Um, uh, <laughs> I think Tom the one thing that might be worth saying is that, like, with the um, with the increasing modalities of communication, I think we do have to have one like sensible two minutes of you know, it can be overwhelming because things come at you from so many yeah. different ways than they used to. And I think it's important that, you know, as Lucy was saying, we can all do it the way that suits us. But I think we should all have a cutoff point And as a profession, we should admire that cutoff point and, you know, allow our membership to say, you know, I've had enough now, I've done my job and I've done my extras. I'm now, it suits me to switch off in this way yeah. and then and then carry on with the rest of my life. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Vive la difference. Exactly. Yeah. Great. <laughs> Thank you both very much. Thank you. Cheers. Thank Bye. you. Bye. So on today's career talk, we've got Sarah Gasper, whose current job is learning manager at Bevo. Um, so we see quite a lot of Sarah, and she started probably not with that in mind Sarah were you always going to be (laughs) were you always going to be a vet was that the plan from age five uh the plan from age five was actually to be a traveling groom but the look on my mum's face when I told her that aged 11 um was a a sight I will never forget and involved a new few new swear words which I'd also never heard (laughs) so I changed my my um life ambition away from being a traveling groom um, to, <laughs> to be a vet. <laughs> so, but that sort of that was at a fairly early stage, was it? That was yeah, sort of early yeah. teens. Early teens, yes. Uh, and choice of vet school. Choice of vet school. Um, I was lucky to get more than one offer, um, but I I went round them all. But I went to Edinburgh, and I just loved it. It wasn't a particularly nice day. The day I went, I think it was raining, and it was vile. But I just, I loved the building. I loved the city. The The students I met were brilliant. And in fact, I think I had one of the worst interviews I ever had there. And I said at the end of it, this has been a complete car crash. Um, I don't know. I don't think you're going to move me a place, but I'd be really happy if you did because I really want to come here. <laughs> <laughs> brilliant. So you then, you then rocked up and was it everything you expected? It was. It was brilliant. I absolutely loved Edinburgh. I still do. Um, I mean, everyone thinks their vet school is the best, but um, yeah, I'm sorry. I am completely biased to Edinburgh. <laughs> so you came uh, You came to the end of your training and then, then what? <laughs> then I graduated and um, I ended up locoming for a local practice at home, which is one of the three things that I swore would be a really bad thing to do for your first job was locum, work near home and specialise. Um, but it was our local horse vet and he wanted to go on holiday. So I graduated. Um, then three days later, he drove me around for a day in the car teaching me to fill out the paperwork. That was a Thursday. The Friday, I got a phone call off the practice to say, can you go and see a colic? Oh, and by the way, John's um, the vet's left for France. Um, it's you now. Um, then that evening I had my first colic, which I managed to stomach tube, first one I'd ever done. And then the local stallion got kicked in the balls while covering a mare. And then the Saturday morning I got a courtesy phone call off a neighbouring practice to say they'd just diagnosed strangles at Pony Club Camp. 
camp, finished that day, and we were the vets covering the practice. Have a nice day. (laughs) (laughs) Well, welcome to equine practice. (laughs) That sort of full of mentorship and and early years support. Yes. I figured it couldn't get much worse. (laughs) No, exactly. So, So I'm imagining you probably chose to move quite swiftly on from there. Um, no, I loved the practice um, in their own way. They supported me as best they could and they were in their own way really supportive. I did. I, did, I was there two or three weeks, which is what they needed me to do um, just to cover holidays and things. And at the end of that, I wanted to go and do mixed practice because I'd actually loved I loved doing small animal and I loved doing farm when I was at college. Um, and I'd really enjoyed doing the three weeks of equine, but I just... <laughs> So it where, did you, head, where, did, and, you, yeah, where seemed, did you head at that point? I headed off to rural <laughs> mixed practice in Wales on the Welsh border, um, which was very different. And um, yeah, it was really good, really good. And spend spend much time in, in mixed practice? About two years, um, about two years of mixed practice, which I enjoyed. Um, there were definitely some bits I was better at than others. Um, but I, yeah, I really enjoyed it. But I got, I ended up getting frustrated with the fact that I was pretty good at most stuff but wasn't really good at anything so I decided I just wanted to do one species after that and And was was that always going to be horses yeah realistically (laughs) (laughs) so where did where did you go then um uh, well literally I I went to um South America (laughs) when I got back um I went back um locum for a bit and then from that job got a job at Edinburgh doing a residency in first opinion equine so hang on so this is three two two years into practice you decided to take a gap year was it a gap year or was it just uh it it was it was a gap few months (laughs) (laughs) yeah so about two years into practice I can't remember exactly when it was um, 2004-ish, I uh, went travelling for a few months and then came back locumed to pay bills and pay back travelling debts um, and then ended up doing a residency at Edinburgh, yeah, in First Opinion. And from what you said before, it was always going to be Edinburgh, but was that, was that, really, <laughs> was that really the making of you, that, that residency there? Yeah, I think so. Um, I th- yeah, yeah, it was, it was good. It was good fun. Um, I was working in lap two and uh yeah really enjoyed it um saw and learnt a lot both on the road and in the hospital and yeah met Neil (laughs) (laughs) Neil who is now your husband yep (laughs) (laughs) um and is that something that with the benefit of hindsight you would should have done earlier or did you hit the right time to to go back and do a residency um uh, I think doing it earlier would have been very difficult because I didn't have the experience of just dealing with clients and um, being in charge of cases, that responsibility aspect. I actually was looking for an internship. I actually intended to come back and do an internship. Um, and I'd intended to do an internship earlier, but had been told to go and get some experience under my belt before I applied. And then yeah. having got a couple of years experience under my belt, I was things seem to have changed and I was then told that I should be doing residencies not internships at that stage (laughs) um but yeah and Edinburgh the residency at the time I didn't feel I was getting as much out of it as I did as the other residents there who were hospital-based because obviously being hospital-based they were being consistently trained and 
helped and supervised, whereas I was on the road quite a lot. But in hindsight, I learned a lot there and was exposed to a lot of stuff that has come in use over and over again. Absolutely. So you did your two years and three then years. three years and then what? Um, then I went to Australia. I hadn't done a great deal of stud work at Edinburgh because they didn't have a huge stud caseload. So I decided to remedy that by going to Australia for six months and doing a stud season. Um, yeah, and there was nothing at all that attracted you about going to Australia other than the stud. <laughs> no, no, God, no. It wasn't the weather or anything. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and, came, and then came back from that to, to Edinburgh? Came back from that, yeah, to Scotland more. Um, ended up having a stopgap thing at a practice near Glasgow um, just for a summer. And then Neil finished his residency and moved to Liverpool. So I followed him south to um, a practice just outside Liverpool Vet School. Fab. And uh, which was doing ambulatory equine work? Yeah, so that was first opinion ambulatory equine. Um, just, yeah, road vet. Um, we had a clinic. Um, uh, you know, we had a few inpatient facilities and things, but it was predominantly road work. Um, so it was good. And enjoy that? Yes. Yes. I enjoyed the work. Um, it's, <laughs> it sounds slightly crazy, but I did by the end of the year, I was missing, missing the challenge of journal clubs and, um, being challenged, uh, academically, I suppose, which is slightly weird because I'd <laughs> didn't you know I never thought I'd hear myself saying that um I'd yep. done my certificate just before I arrived at the practice um and so was used to um sort of getting really in depth with cases um yeah. and missed that sort of high level interaction that I was I'd become used to at Edinburgh without actually realizing yeah. um, so what did you do to remedy that uh I moved a few miles down the road to work at Liverpool in their first right. opinion practice um, which again was really good, um, and yeah, that was yeah small vet practice, um, doing some teaching again, and yeah, going to journal clubs, being involved in all sorts. Fab. And then did family get in the way? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, got married, had kids. Um, was very fortunate in that at Liverpool, I was allowed to go back to work part time, and they had enough people that I didn't have to try and fill an on-call rotor as well um so that worked really well with one child um when the second one came along it got a little bit more tricky because the um reality of working in a small practice um with two kids who may or may not be at nursery when they were meant to be due to bugs and whatever and yeah. my we've got family illness starting up so my backup childcare sort of ceased to exist really um yeah so it was the it was a sort of guilt thing feeling um you know I'm I'm letting I'm letting the rest of my team down by turning up by ringing up in the morning and saying I'm sorry I know I've got a full day of calls calls but I've also got a puking child so yeah. can't make it in um <laughs> and and your your father was also a bit ill getting a bit ill yeah so dad my dad had been diagnosed with a terminal brain tumor so that put a different tilt on life again um yeah, yeah. Not, not uh, something you anticipate. No, and as a as a result of all of those things combined, you then you then headed headed back down towards home, did you? Yes. Yeah, so I'd moved it sideways into postgraduate unit, um, the CPD unit at Liverpool, 
prior to that and then dad's health took quite a rather dramatic turn for the worse and it it just we moved down rapidly um to be nearer my family um so yeah that uh, that wasn't particularly planned um I don't think either of those two steps were planned they were fairly reactive um yeah but it's what happened (laughs) absolutely um and that but that stage you was you were still doing some contract work for Liverpool yes so we moved south um I carried on doing contract work for Liverpool and doing bits of locoming um as and when it came along um life sort of bumbled around for a couple of years while I helped mum get over um dad's loss and yeah things you know family stuff basically yeah um and then you then you very kindly start got involved with the Beaver online learning platform and and then came and joined us. Yes, a, yes. A, You're good enough to it. offer me a job with a contract, which was essential for the mortgage. <laughs> so. and, you, do you, do you, and it's great. It's great. And you do a fantastic job. Though. It's great to have someone who's got that experience in there. But do you miss the clinical work? I do. Uh, yeah. No, I, I do miss it. Um, my, my challenge at the moment is trying to figure out how I make a seven day week into an eight day week. And then I could squeeze in a bit of clinical as well. <laughs> at the moment I'm having to satisfy myself with doing the occasional weekend um for local practices yeah great so it's all, all a fairly busy life and possibly possibly one that was influenced or was not completely pre-planned but would you do anything different if you had your time again um it definitely I, I would never have thought that I'd be saying that I'd worked on a computer for my day job um I hate computers um but but, you know you can't control what life chucks at you and I was the balls that were chucked at me were chucked at me and this is the way that we've come out of it and actually none they've all been good jobs I enjoy the job I'm in at the moment um yes you know it would be nice if my dad hadn't got sick it would be nice to not have had to go down that route but that's what happened and you know I still got my kids my mum's great husband's great so I've got a lot to be thankful and grateful for um and I'm in a job that I love <laughs> fab you, you don't have to say that but fab. <laughs> <laughs> well you know tax and all that sort of thing. <laughs> Sarah thank you very much for that really fascinating to hear your story no worries <laughs> thanks a lot Cheers. bye-bye bye